Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of Turn at a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, you may know him from all sorts of different TV and movie projects, but to me, he will always be one of the greatest front people this city has ever produced from the band The Deadly Snakes. Max McCabe Locus is on the show, and I'm very excited for you to hear this. More on that in one second. But first, to get in touch with me, hit up the email address, turnedoutbunkpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me. Oh, actually, that is run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire, but uh, this one was actually booked by myself. I'll explain that in a second as well. Uh, But uh, Tristan Abraham. And thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for this show. It is very much appreciated, and I love you very much, buddy. And and happy holidays. I saw him in real life, but, you know, that's why you'll hear it on the show, because he's not here when I record these things. Anyway, pulling back the curtain too much. Uh, you can uh, support the podcast by telling your friends about it, uh, let everyone know about it, uh, or subscribing to it and rating it on your platform of choice. And thank you to everyone that does do that. I play in a band called Fucked Up. More information about all the stuff we're working on, including a video uh, that gets alluded to in this episode that eh, was supposed to be out by now, I thought, but I guess it's been delayed. Anyway, more information over at fuckedup.cc. We have a merch store. You can get all our records and T-shirts, and we do benefit uh, uh, merch drops of old records all the time on there. And so check it out. Check out uh, Fucked Up. We're going to be going on tour again. we got a new record coming out with all sorts of stuff. Anyway, check out Fucked Up. It's my, <laughs> my only sponsor these days, I guess, is Fucked Up. All right, on to today's show. As I said off the top, today on the show, Max from the Deadly Snakes is here. Max is someone I've been a huge fan of for a long time. Well, I, that that's a lie. I've been a, a, a fan of his for a very long time, but for a long time I, I didn't like them because I was on... Separate Sides of Toronto Beefs, which we talk about in this episode. And then, of course, I recognize the genius of Max and the Deadly Snakes and Andre and 
And they're one of the great bands from Toronto. If you have not heard the Deadly Snakes, check out all their records. Fantastic kind of uh, trajectory for that band too. Until they right until they broke up. But uh, Max is now, as I said off the top, an actor. You can see him in all sorts of things. Um, you can check out his IMDb page for more information on uh, various things he's been over the years, but Lars and the Real Girl, uh, Station Eleven, he's in like five episodes last season. Uh, there's also The Switch. He's in tons of stuff. Man, I'm just looking through his credits. He's in, he's in so much stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Tin Star. Check out all the stuff in Tin Star as well. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back. Relax and enjoy Max McCabe Locus, retired from music on Turned Out of Punk. Max, thank you so much for coming on the show, buddy. Well, thank you for having me. I, this has been a long time coming. I've wanted to have you on the show since like year one. Here we are, year eight. Is it eight years you've been doing this? Eight years now. I can't believe it. Time... <laughs> been waiting just been waiting on, on the telephone <laughs> well we've now made it finally happen uh as i was saying like i'm a huge fan of well i'm a huge fan of your acting but also the snakes i think are one of the most important bands from toronto and a, and a huge hugely incredible band and a, a big band for me that i still listen to this day but a band that i did not get into later on account of something we were just kind of talking about before is the fact that toronto it feels like as small of a city as it is, and as we all know each other, it is a weirdly divided city. And mm. there are a lot of like weird band beefs, especially oh, yeah. at the time, and walls, <laughs> and you found yourselves on different sides of different camps. Yeah, yeah. They were almost like these manufactured beefs just to sort of have something to do, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like the stakes were so low, you had to pretend to have a beef with somebody to yeah. create some drama, you know? Yeah, it's weird how it is. There's only it's like 25 people in each of these rooms, yeah. but yet, <laughs> you know, there'd be... Fathom with beef with the other half. But before we get to that, I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is how did you get in a punk? Remember the first time you ever came across it? Oh, man. Um, I guess, I guess like punk in, as like an umbrella term. Um, I guess, well, I was kind of like, okay, so I was born in 78, so I'm 44 years old. And when I was around like... I don't know, when you start listening to music like 14 or 15 or something, I was kind of more into like hard rock stuff, like ACDC and, you know, whatever, Pepsi Power Hour stuff. The Much music, much music absolutely. Um, like Faith No More or whatever, which that would have been like 89 mm -hmm. or something, I guess. 88, 89, something like that. Anyway, and then from that, I guess I just kind of, it just sort of went a little bit more, you know, uh, obscure and... To be honest, like, grunge was kind of a big thing for me in, like, 7th, 8th grade, you know, kind of high school. And, like, and then that was definitely, like, you know, Kurt Cobain's, like, wearing a flipper t-shirt. It's like that, it, it was just, like, you know, he was preaching to the choir and a bunch of kids probably got turned on to Fugazi and shit. Because he wrote Fugazi on the toe of his Converse All-Stars, you yeah, know. And it yeah. was, so it was kind of, like, the more, the more, I guess, uh parochial stuff was probably through like seattle type grunge stuff like we were lucky in toronto though because i think it because of like as you say much music with pepsi power hour yeah and um new music on there too yeah. and brave new waves on the cbc and then cfmy even yeah at times like we had 
because you and me are the same age, we had kind of exposure to, I think, a lot of cooler music now that I look back on it. Like, just like, you'd hear a Blue Peter song randomly on the radio, or Teenage Head. Yeah. Just kind of, like, always <clears throat> on. Yeah, it wasn't so hard to to find. And once you go to, I mean, how many places were there in Toronto where you could go find out about music? You could go to, like, Rotate This, or you could go to Vortex, or you could go to Record Peddler or whatever. Like, you just go to record stores, yeah. and you're like, well, what's on discord what's on k records what's on sub pop you know and then you you just start i mean you just start consuming that stuff it's weird because like now it's all much more at hand than it was then mm-hmm. but i feel like it, it's almost like you're you're lost in a sea of where to go like you all you when we had those record stores or those places you could go you could get turned on to the stuff that they were listening to at that store and sort of like you had someone to kind of steer the ship yeah, because we were making, you know, this is this is going to sound nostalgic for something that I don't even know if it was good, but there was tribes then. They yeah. were smaller, and but it meant you didn't mix. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you're into hardcore, then you hung out with hardcore kids, and you didn't really hang out with anybody else. And maybe you liked Wu-Tang or something, but it wasn't, there wasn't much cross, you know, cross-breeding of, of, of sensibilities, and, like, musical taste was so definitive it was like i like people that are into you know indie rock and hardcore and if my friends aren't into that like maybe i'll have like one old friend from grade school who's like the exception to the rule but mostly it was like you proselytized you tried to turn people that you liked onto that music so they could join your tribe and i think now i mean i'm sure i'm blind to so much of what youth culture is now but i think it's a little bit more homogenous at least with music it is like everybody likes everything Mm -hmm. and like when we were younger, it wasn't just what you liked, it was what you didn't like. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like stuff that sucked was verboten. <laughs> you know, like, you could not like <laughs> bad stuff. No, no, you were you <laughs> You'd were be excommunicated. Normal. You were yeah. a normal person at yeah. that point. Yeah. I remember my friend had, like, legitimately the worst taste in music and made a mixtape called The Worst Tape Ever. It's probably and, great now, eh? <laughs> no, I was definitely, it was bad. It's bad by any generation standard, I think, but... <laughs> It was just like, wow, I can't believe you're in all this stuff because it was, like you're saying, it was so important. Like that stuff. And I think it's because we had the financial investment in it. Like you had to buy these records. You had to buy the shirt. You had to attend the concert of this given church that you chose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So you you did feel like this this sense of ownership to it, which I guess now... Everything seems... Yeah. It's not free, but I mean, it's all kind of coming at you and... Yeah. platforms that are you can just pull out of the thin air right? yeah exactly so where'd you kind of go from like you know seeing you know faith no more and kind of getting exposed through the grunge stuff like or some of the early local and then oh yeah i mean local like yeah i i guess it was kind of like hardcore stuff like shot maker and i mean they were from ottawa but like mm-hmm. some of the ottawa bands like um uh, like, oh God, where their names are so funny. Hardcore bands have the funniest names, like Union of Uranus. And yeah. like, uh, um, was, was, like, remember Blunderman and like, they yes. were kind of some Scottish type yeah. hardcore stuff. Pat Lazo. Pat Lazo. Yeah. I remember I went to see them at the Rivoli, like, instead of going to the grade nine school dance, like, <laughs> because I was like, fuck dances. Like, that's lame. I'm going to go be like a little tiny kid at this hardcore show with 30 other people that. I'm invisible too, you know, but, uh, yeah, whatever local stuff, like, again, it was kind of like, where was the place to, 
to absorb it, right? So it would be like, not so much specifically about the bands. Like I did love Shotmaker mm. and Watershed, but like sometimes you just go see a night and there was like 15 bands at the South African Center or something. Yeah. Or at like, I don't know, where was a place like, Probably Classic play. Studios. Classic Studios, of course. Yeah. Class, classic Studios was the big one. It was just like Friday Night at Classic Studios. Yeah. And then that was like... I'm like one year younger than you, and I remember just before I was starting to go to Classic Studios, I had a friend who went to Classic Studios and saw the DBS show there. Oh, yeah. And then I was going to go, and then the roof caved in. Because <laughs> the snow caved the roof in. It was like the end of the Classic Studios That's that. era. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was a a place that I still have flyers that I kept that I'd find for it, you know, because it was these are almost like the Toronto Lost Years, weirdly. Yeah, you know, like cause it's so heavily documented, the the Queen Street Rivoli scene and yeah. then the scene before that, and then obviously, kind of from Snakes on to like Fucked Up into that, it's very well documented again. Yeah, but this period that we're talking about, like the Armed and Hammered. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Armed and Hammered, the drunk punk stuff, and like the Satan Autras and yeah. stuff. Like rest in peace, Dallas. Good. Rest in peace, Mister Dallas. Good, but um, yeah, there was a good. I was pretty young then, and just kind of like trying stuff out, and mm-hmm. and, um, and then I guess I veered more toward like I don't know more more not commercial, but like more poppy stuff. Like I I think that a band like Unwound is very poppy, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but the kind of like DC stuff that wasn't so, in quotations, Caustic. like punk. It, yeah, it yeah. wasn't like screamy. It was more kind of arty, like angular stuff. It's interesting when you look at Union of Uranus because they, you know, Jason Green from Orchid was on this podcast and he said yeah. how Orchid was basically like a Union of Uranus tribute band, and Orchid's kind of like the. The, the, the proto screamo right band. Yeah, yeah. So weirdly you think of Uranus, like they're they're like the proto proto yeah. screamo band. The Union of my asshole. And they became they became tragedy and John Sharon obviously did tons of bands. Oh yeah. Stuff, yeah. So Right. Well John Sharon was in Watershed, right? Or no he was no, in Hacksaw with He was in Hacksaw. Yeah. And he was also and now he's in Career Suicide. Yeah. Yeah. He's been in Plastic Heads. He's in obviously Yeah. He's a, a no, he's in Ottawa guy. I used to go down to down i used to go over to ottawa with like will monroe and stay at five arlington with like whoever the fuck lived there like nick pie and john sharon and matt kamirin and like all of these basically orphans you know like they were still in high school and they had this like house that they rented and they were on welfare and shit they're getting like 600 bucks a month and it was like oh my god we're rich you know (laughs) That's a legendary scene too. Like yeah. you think about who's in that room. Oh yeah. From like people from the Arcade Fire to Did you ever see Anil Chinook, Gavin McGinnis? <laughs> yeah. You did? No, no. <laughs> I was no, I didn't. Shit. But that but I I remember that name and it's How wild appropriate for the for the band <laughs> member, I would say. Is it something about capitals and hardcore? Like DC and Ottawa both have huge hardcore scenes. You're right. I think Why? I think you know what it is. I think, well, especially at DC, and this probably applies to Ottawa, is like as much as there are kids that have no money, there's also people with lots of money and lots of disposable income and lots of kids. Or is it because they're close to, to the center of power and they want to like destroy it? That's what, no, that's exactly what they say in uh, that Kathleen Hanna lead singer documentary. Okay. They talk about how, um, I think it's Toby Vale or maybe it's Kathleen Hanna says okay. that that's why they speculate the hardcore is so vital from there. But, I, you know, I think it, I think it's access to resources in a right. lot of ways too. I think it's probably a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, 
you know, these bands take themselves seriously. Like they're a lot of these people are professionals, especially in Ottawa. Like you're a, a journalist, a person that works at the universities, or involved in politics yeah. for a lot of people. So I don't know. Yeah, but I, you're right. It is it is interesting how Ottawa had, given the population of it being so small. Yeah, such a killer scene. Yeah, it's weird. I guess it's also just geographically, it's kind of between, you know, Montreal, Toronto, and like whatever other like fucking Belleville or you know what I mean it's yeah. kind of like we're in Ontario can you go I mean maybe it was cheaper than Toronto I don't know I, Toronto, it was super expensive for rents when I was Ottawa was yeah I remember okay. when I was like trying to figure out where to try and go to school I remember okay. rents were crazy expensive at that right. point but maybe it was cheaper yeah a little earlier on also you know Ottawa is home to Canada's version of Ian Mackay Sean Scallon like, oh yeah, Sean's <laughs> like you need someone who does carry the scene on their back at times. Where oh my god, where the lean years, you know, yeah. and, and Sean's the guy he took who took pictures for every cover of every, every record, record of every hardcore band in Canada. Put, put out shot maker records, <laughs> yeah. put on shows. He did the last fucked up show in Ottawa. Still really? runs spaces in Ottawa. So god. yeah, like Sean. Sean is definitely the you know Canadian Ian Mackay without the glamour of being in every music documentary like Ian Mackay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But how did you get into this, you know, the classic studios era stuff, for lack of a better term, from just, you know, these casual kind of brushes up with it on, on popular culture? Like, because that stuff is, yeah, it, I it's kind of underground at that point <clears throat> in Toronto. I guess Andre, who who was in the Snakes with me, mm-hmm. um, he was in a band in high school called Eighth Rib, and they played classics. And I think, actually... It's weird because I'm kind of mixing it all up in my brain. It's when you're young, like things that can happen in six months. So many things can happen that now it feels like that takes years for things yeah, those to are happen. Such huge years. When but you're like, young. yeah, I don't know. It was kind of all simultaneously like, you know, going to like a hardcore show and then meeting people like Will, and yeah. then like get, there he had a little scene of like, you know, food not bombs type people, and there was like, uh, like. Dara Hayes on Elm Street, like yep. his house. And it was just like, it was just making new friends. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm like 15, 16 years old. And then I go to like a hardcore house and there's a hundred people there who all want to make friends with everybody there. And then, so you, it's just like, it took like a week, not a week. It took like a few months of just like being introduced to it, to being thoroughly, you know, converted. So who were... Who was the first show you went and saw? Actually, not like even, a hardcore band. Well, even even pre-hardcore. Like, what was the first concert you went to? Oh my god, the first concert. Uh, I think the first concert that I went to, like on my own or with my brother, was. Do you remember that band, the British band called? I think they're called the Beautiful South. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird. Show. I know. I know. It was, I because we had these friends. And they were into them. I don't know. Oh, that's definitely CFNY too. Was, yeah, maybe it was like a CFNY thing. And uh, I think that was the first like concert that I went to, you know, like and stood in a crowd. Would you go to anything before that? I think I saw. Like my parents took me to see something at the at the at the Ontario Place Forum. Like when I was really young, like I don't know, like the fucking nylons or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I... <laughs> I remember the nylons well. <laughs> I knew a kid whose dad managed the nylons. Really? Yeah. Acapella. <laughs> vaguely religious acapella music. It was so weird. Like Canadian music. Like anytime someone cracks on Eurovision <clears throat> Sound Contest from Canada, I'm like, yo, we are 
one step away oh with stuff like the nylons and B44 and Canada's basically like like Euro what's what's the contest called the Eurovision Eurovision yeah Eurovision sound contest that's that's the the every country writes a song <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah. like Canada's kind of like if we were it's like we're part of Eurovision but we don't know that it's a joke where yeah. even like Estonia knows that it's a joke yeah. you know but we're yeah. still like but I mean with everything it's like Canadian movies and everything it's kind of like it you can't be that earnest like guys like everybody else is kind of past this earnestness you yeah. know but Canada's mm -hmm. still like doing some very old-fashioned jingoism that just does not <laughs> translate over borders you know <laughs> what's well, funny especially like because now we live in cool Canada like, you and me were talking upstairs about Canadian Toronto drill music and how popular that is. And I think post-Drake, Toronto right, right. is, like, a cultural, you know. But where does cool Canada start, you know? And, and I think it really starts, like, like you guys and, like, they're obviously DOA early on was sure. cool internationally. Propagandi had a cool international following. But I don't think it was ever, like perceived as as cool by like places like the arbors are cool at the time like right british music culture and things like that and i think it's like the snakes is really where it starts where you know the people at goner records thought the snakes were amazing you know and yeah like all these cool well people. we we really piggybacked um on the space shits so because montreal if you're talking about cool montreal is cooler than toronto and there was after so you know jump ahead a few years after like hardcore and then getting into more like indie rocky stuff Eventually, I found myself into more garage rock scene, and um, and the space shits like King Con and Mark, Irish and Mark were in that band, and like they were, we I was just like, oh, this is this is cool, like this these guys are actually like kind of go for broke, where they make us look really uptight, you know, and <laughs> they were fucking wild. They were wild. They're that still whole, wild. <laughs> they're still wild. Yeah, but the and like. Full Blast records and Luann's yeah, store. Like yeah. th that, that was like another stage where we, the Snakes, were like, oh, let's let's just play with these guys. Like, this is cooler than, you know, the Sadies were in Toronto at that time. There were some good bands in Toronto mm -hmm. at that time, but, the, but mostly it was very like, it was kind of like Blues Hammer stuff in Toronto, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the thing is also, there's that Toronto syndrome where you can become the coolest band in Toronto, but then you're trapped. Yeah. You know, like, like, and I think that, now the Sadie's obviously became, did something completely different, but they were a band that was just like, like, you can't understand how cool that band was unless you were in Toronto at that time. Yeah. And same way, like, you know, late, later, you know, from fiction, there's always these bands that are just like Toronto bands. And I think yeah. it's when bands started like, you know, just being like, well, let's go see what else is out there. Well, we definitely made a concerted effort to kind of snub Canada and concentrate yeah. on the States. Like that we were, we never had a label in Canada, like whatever, 10 years of being in that band four records, they were either on sympathy or in the red. And that was like <clears throat> intentional Yeah, because it was, I mean, Toronto was good. Montreal was good. Vancouver could be good, but I don't know. There was just kind of like, it's the same way. Like I work in film now. It's the same kind of thing. It's, I mean, this has been said a million times, but it's like, Canada doesn't respect anybody until they become acknowledged by America, you know? Yeah. And it's like, or England. Or England, yeah. yeah. And it and it's like, well, fine, fuck them then. Like, I'm not going to fucking whatever, like, try and play 
wavelength every weekend so that I can, you know, get the respect of Exclaim magazine. But it was just like, fuck it. Like, we'll just go just tour mostly in the States and which is kind of a dick thing to do. But it I think it kind of paid off because we, we had like some begrudging acknowledgement in Canada. And then we also had the, the States and we didn't have the stink. I mean, we probably had more of the stink of Canada on us than we thought we did. <laughs> You know, like rounding out our vowels and shit, but like we, but I think that it wasn't as bad as like, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to like name bands, but there was like yeah. ones that just couldn't shake it off. Yeah. Yeah. You know? There's, there's that. Well, I think the other thing is it's a backdoor in because like, if you don't get in through the music industry in Canada, you were kind of shut out, you know, you're kind of trapped because yeah. your, your music's just not going to get out there. There are so few labels like yeah. you're saying. So when you kind of realize, and from watching, you know, yourselves, and I, later on there were bands that kind of followed in your footsteps that did it too, where it's like, oh, you don't have to do it this way. You can kind of just do it by going to England yeah. and go to America and, like, play to people that want to see you rather than just trying to tour across Canada and, yeah. quote-unquote, build an audience. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, 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 I'm sure it's probably kind of the same. But now it, it, there's credibility in, in Canada, as you said, like, the, yeah. you know, it's got a bit of a, I mean, there are good, there are legitimately fucking great bands from Canada, oh, from Toronto, oh. from Edmonton, from like Montreal still like, I, I, I think there are more, more now than when, when we were young. I think there's like a good, a hefty amount. I think we're batting above our our weight, that's the wrong mixed metaphor, but yeah, we're hitting above our average or batting above our... Yeah, batting above our weight. I don't know. <laughs> be, be, be boxing above, obviously not punching Toronto above Park's our... baseball players. Yeah, two guys that don't know sports. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we definitely... But I think even back then, it's just you didn't hear it. You know, like yeah. every city would have a killer band or two Yeah, and you just don't hear about them. And I think the problem is now in Canada, there's no... I don't know, like reverence for music history unless it was really mainstream music yeah. like there's so many fun, i don't know like bfgs that would be yeah how's oh it you know or blasphemy do you know blasphemy no from, is that a toronto band it was a uh a interracial black metal band from out in vancouver oh wow that went to war with all the nazis that got chased by the bfgs across canada <laughs> And so there's awesome. wild stories about this band. I got to show you the records afterwards. Like okay. wearing the coarse paint in front of like giant fires and graveyards oh and my stuff. God. But you know, there's some great stuff here. But I we, definitely we, missed that one. It was all like, you know, Kim Mitchell. And yeah. Whatever the time we were in Great Big C, we weren't hearing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I try not to think too much about like whether it was better then or now it like i i tend to get i try to avoid i'm happy just to have like you know a, a nostalgic conversation but i don't i don't typically like to indulge in that too oh much. yeah no you know what i mean i think yeah. it's like well you can't compare it's, it it's yeah it's just yeah i mean like it's not something that i mean it's like that's basically like mega kind of mentality it's like it was better when i was young like yeah, anybody can say that. It, it always is to somebody. It's yeah. more familiar, but it's like, I don't know. Shit's different. I'm into it. We don't have to deal with uh, mean people at the record store telling us we can't buy certain records anymore. <laughs> right? yeah, like, exactly. that's better. But definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, 
where did you kind of first hear sort of the garage rock stuff that was happening? Was it through the spaceships coming to town or? Um, I think it was like probably just through like buying records. Like I think I the first bands I got into that were like in the garage type thing was, was, I don't know, Crypt Records stuff. Like maybe from getting like being into older, actually, you know what? I, I was into like, I was a real purist for a long time and I just listened to like 60s stuff and gospel stuff, mm. like records, uh, you know, like American garage stuff or British stuff from the 60s, like whatever, the Trogs or, or the Count Five or the Kinks or whatever. And like, and then got pretty seriously into like Stack Soul and then, and then from that got into like gospel music and I would just like look for weird southern gospel records but like uh and then then that is also like kind of the stepping stone to like memphis garage stuff like the the oblivions and like the retards and stuff like that uh i guess i don't remember being into like the chrome cranks and i guess they were kind of like that new there was like bob burt's band mm-hmm. oh like, um like pussy galore people, yeah. And like from yeah, cranks, you, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. And there's also someone from Sand in the Face. Oh, really? Yeah, like okay. a New Jersey hardcore band. But yeah, Chrome Cranks are awesome. Yeah, there was like that was I think they were on Crypt or something. Yeah, but, they were one of the early early Crypt bands. Yeah, so I guess from like back from the Grave Records, you're like, oh, what else is on this label? And then it's like the more grimy, you know, Bob Burt stuff. I guess New York had that like scene too. Like there was Action Swingers. There was like yep. a little like garage rock. Thing yeah, the Devil Dogs. There. Yeah. Devil Dogs, is that who I'm thinking? Maybe that's what I'm thinking of with the guy from Sand in the Face. Okay. Right? Yeah. Right. The Devil Dogs, I think they were like, I don't know, from like Long Island or something. Maybe New Jersey, because they're also on Headache Records. Yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. There was New Jersey bands too. Probably all played at Maxwell's. Right? Yeah. 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 I think that was like sort of the center of a lot of that garage rock stuff too. Yeah. Where are the mummies from? Are they from the East Coast? Oh. No, West Coast? I think they're West Coast, San okay. Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So were you getting these records at full blast at this point or yeah sometimes full blast um i guess sometimes rotate it was interesting how rotate and full blast kind of focused on different areas yeah full blast was more like like i don't think rotate carried like neil hamburger records or stuff on planet pimp but that was like full blast was actually really san francisco centric a lot of those bands were from san francisco that, yeah, that makes sense because I think Max Rock and Roll was such a huge thing for Luann and yeah. Simon Harvey and even yeah. even Glenn Salter. Like Glenn was obviously in the tons of garage rock. Oh stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I think it did inform a lot of the stuff there. That makes for sense. sure. But that was also where you could get like the, some of the DIY hardcore stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah that for you sure. You wouldn't get necessarily at Rotate too. Totally, yeah. It, and a Record Peddler also had their different sections. It was, it was cool because you had different stores to go for different. Oh yeah, remember what was that one on on uh, Baldwin? Who's Emma? No, no, no. The like snobby one that was good. It had like jazz records and um, oh, on Baldwin. Yeah, what was that called? Um, 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 uh, Round again. Round, Round again. again records. Yeah, I think it's still open. No, it's maybe no. I don't think so. I think it's closed. But that was a great place to get like, if you want to buy like a. Uh, you know, when you get into like Stravinsky, you know, like you can start getting the more pretentious stuff. But then they're expensive there. But they had like you know, great jazz records and, and it was very they definitely quiet. didn't have like DOA records there. But it was extremely quiet in <laughs> it there. Was so quiet. It was crazy quiet, it's true. <laughs> You're like, why don't you put the headphones on? Like, <laughs> <Yeah. freak."> yeah. <laughs> like, 
Quiet Records. But that place, you go. I would always go and check there. I think I bought maybe two records there in all the years I went there. But it was right beside the the bun place. Oh man! So you get the tofu bun. <laughs> you go. In Young there. Sing. Yeah, Young Sing. Oh, the place was the best. That place was amazing, and it closed for renovations. It's that yeah, Toronto curse. F- perpetual renovations. Yeah, closed for renovations. Never opened again. There was another place on Baldwin called. Um, called Konichiwa. It was a Japanese restaurant. I used to go there all the time. I loved it. It was just like a total under the radar, like before restaurant culture became like, I don't know, a subculture of its own. It was just a cheap lunch place. It had the best udon noodle soup. I think I went there one time. I used to go to Matahari. Do you remember that place? It was a Malaysian food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That place was awesome too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love, it's funny because, um, I did an episode with Tim Barry from Avail recently, and we we're talking about how, <clears throat> how like, the gentrification of the world is kind of happening now. Yeah, and you even see it like on a micro level happening in cities where neighborhoods all begin to look the same. Yeah, after a while, where you don't really have the unique character anymore because they all have an A and W, they all have a Dude, dollar store, fucking, they all have. I, I want to blow them up, man. Fucking Rexall A and W. Yeah. It just like cannabis, some cannabis, some yeah, some, cannabis some store. Twenty-four hour vape store, and when I say twenty-four hour, I mean it's going to be open for twenty-four hours, <laughs> yes. and then it's going to go out of yes. business. Uh, yeah, it sucks. It sucks. It's like whatever's happening. As much as I just said, like try not to get down on like the, you know, modern era. It sucks, man. Like I don't want to see the only buildings that can afford. Like, uh, or the only businesses that can afford to like take over the rent at like an old brick building in Toronto is a fucking A and W. Yeah, that's horrible. And it's interesting when you go to a city like Montreal, which you know, say what you will, because we were having this conversation upstairs about like all the disrepair the city finds itself in, but that city has preserved its character. Yeah. Versus Toronto, where it just feels like there's like this constant fight to just pave over yeah yeah any it's character. totally like i mean okay here let me throw this at you montreal has that they have uh pride they have civic pride they have like they have um provincial pride mm-hmm. and obviously like a language based thing and that's good good things come from that but they're also like the only place that's going to do a fucking burka ban in canada you know what i mean like yeah, they have the thing that comes with with you know, the the preservation of culture is the xenophobia, yeah. you know, like, so Toronto's like, hey, like, we're fucking for sale. Like, anybody can do anything as long as they pay for it, you know. It doesn't have any civic pride. It doesn't have an identity. But the upshot is that no, we're baggage. not going to, like, make people do, you know, language tests before they can, or, you know, yeah. like, they can only speak to doctors in, in English or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a... I don't know, you know, where it ends up, saying. but it's kind of like, you know, you take the good with the bad. I think the one thing is there's there's a way to have, maybe it's not necessarily a civic pride, but a sense of civic identity <clears throat> yeah. that doesn't have to be nationality-based. But, like, I don't know, just like a... I guess Drake fulfills a lot of that now. I think, Corona. I mean, I'm not, like... I'm not, a, I don't, I'm not really familiar with like, I mean, I, I know who Drake is, but I'm not, I don't listen to Drake. I'm not really yeah. into that kind of music, but I got, I think it's fine what he's doing. Like he's, you know, he's a good ambassador for the city and he's, but you know, like, what do you got? So what is our identity now? Like club douchebags? 
like, cool. <laughs> well, I think just the fact that it, it shows that Toronto, like his style, and I think the part of the reason he became so popular is because it's a perfect style for this era where it does reflect Toronto, where Toronto, like, there's a Trinidadian yeah. restaurant right beside a Jamaican restaurant, That's cool. right beside yeah, yeah. a Pakistani restaurant, right beside, you know, like we do have, and so his style of rapping was never, you could never really pinpoint it to one yeah. area. Because it was like, and very, you know, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Like there is, you know, it, it you know, once again, I guess the good, good and the bad, like he's, yeah. he's very successful. No, I, I think he's, you put like, shoppers drug marts in his video. I think it's, yeah, it's cool. He obviously has a sense of humor about it, but, but I think that if there is an identity for Toronto now, if you asked people in other cities what they thought of Toronto, they would know outside of saying like, oh, you live in igloos or some dumb shit. They would be like. Oh, it's like a restaurant city, right? Which is like fucking embarrassing. No, they say Drake in the weekend is what I. Sure, they say Drake in the weekend, but I mean, outside of music, it's like, oh, isn't it a place where, you know, people isn't there like great restaurants and like, yeah, well, that's that's a, that's definitely what the you know, board of trade wants people to think. But I I don't, I don't know. Are there great restaurants? Is it just like? Bourdain, expensive or what? When Bourdain came here, he said he wanted to come here because he heard there was no good restaurants here. From yeah, but how Montreal. many years ago was that? This would have been like, I don't know, when was that? Ten years ago now? He was I like, mean, he had heard there was like, you know, he had heard from people in Montreal and the Montreal, because Montreal, once again, that has such a in- intense food culture. Yeah, but right? it's, <clears throat> I don't, I just don't really buy Toronto's restaurant thing because it's so, it's so contrived. It's just like, it's like, they're trying so hard to be on some bullshit restaurant map, you know? Like, it's just so bourgeois. It's not like Montreal actually has good restaurants and actually has good food, but they don't, they're, they're not so contrived or affected. It seems very affected. I think that, well, I think there are amazing spots here in Toronto. It's the places that aren't affected that I think are the amazing spots and the places that, like, you know, once again, are things that survive from these Yeah, I think right? Island Foods is an amazing spot. Island Foods but is an incredible recipe. But I don't give a shit to... about fucking Canoe or something. You know? Yeah, I've never been to Canoe. Neither have I. I think a Canoe, is Canoe the one, I saw one of them on a TV show where you could go there and you could be like, oh, I looked at your menu, you don't have this item. And they'll go to like one of their sister restaurants. Right. My dream, if I ever made Drake money, is to go there and be like, oh... You don't have an A and W veggie burger on your <laughs> like menu. You ask for like yeah. a patty on a bun or something. Yeah, like you have to go to Island Foods and get you fucking roti and bring it back. Yeah, that's You're cool. like oh great, thank you. Finally, something delicious to eat here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I get what you're saying. Like it, I think part of being from Toronto is this, other than being able to stomach the taste of pizza, pizza is this like civic disgrace and civic pride at the same time where yeah. like, the city sucks but also I'm going to defend it to anyone that tries to shit talk it yeah I don't know I, I've lived here for so long it's just like I it just it seems kind of like it's prohibitively expensive but you don't really get the good things that a prohibitively expensive city gives you like okay whatever you know Paris is expensive London's expensive, but... They're Paris and London. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. what do we have? We have, like, the real, like, international draws, the things that are kind of, like, super cool about Toronto. I mean, I still like Kensington Market. I think it's fucking I like awesome. it. I do my groceries Except for there. fucking Fantino's Weed Shop. Yeah, I, I mean... How fucking ridiculous is that? The, 
when he like the Julian Fantino, yeah, the, the ex cop, yeah, owns a weed shop in Kensington Market now. Oh, I didn't know that. Like the guy was responsible for putting how many kids in jail for fucking selling weed or buying weed. Which in that place. which shop is it? It's one on because um, one just closed. Oh, I can't. I hope it's that one. It's like one of the big ones. It's like where uh, a drift skate shop used to be. I think. Or okay, there. I think it closed. Oh, that's amazing! Amazing. Yeah, I just mean like the, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, it's really expensive, and but but I, you know, I get the all of the benefits of living in. Yeah. Next to the fucking the big band or yeah. Louvre, but it, <laughs> uh, but you know here it's like yeah no it's expensive isn't that cool like you know that's what Toronto is you know like people are like bragging rights for living in a prohibitively expensive city I think there are, the one thing I do love about this city is that it does feel very small townish in a way yeah you know where everyone kind of knows everyone through somebody yeah you know um, yeah it's nice that we walk I think yeah, walking, walk places. walking. That's true. I'm, a, I'm like, I tried to walk in L.A. and it would be walks I do in Toronto. It's like, oh, it's a 45 minute walk, and people are like, oh, you're gonna do a 45 minute walk in Los Angeles? Yeah, you're fucking crazy. Yeah, and you're like, don't you can just walk for 45 minutes on a treadmill? <laughs> yeah, was, why, why don't you do that? Just walking on a freeway for part of it. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrifying. Uh, but when did you start acting? Um, <clears throat> I guess I started acting. When I was like, it was kind of, there was a little bit of a crossover with the snakes. Like the last couple years of the snakes, I started to get into acting. Um, because our la- I think the first European tour we did, I was, I was, I had this great job. It was one of the first acting jobs I had. I was shooting this movie in Portugal for like three months. It was, I just haven't had a job that plum since. <laughs> but uh, the, on that, movie i shot it and then like stayed in europe for a couple more weeks and then the snakes came over and then we toured europe so it was that was like the that was the last maybe that was 2003 or something like that and then the snakes ended in 2006 so uh, a few years i i got into it because i was just like i had like the arrogance of youth and i was a show off and i was like i can do that and, uh, and, uh, I just, you know, you get an agent and then started to do auditions. And I guess I filled like a, uh, a void, you know, they needed like, sometimes they want my type occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've and, done, you've done a lot of work. You've worked a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've managed to, to sort of make a job of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess that's my job. Yeah. Yeah, because you've got, like, for especially for someone who didn't come up in it, like, you're not like Drake or, or Forty, like these kids right. that grew up in Yeah, no, Abyss. I was never on Degrassi. Never on Degrassi. Did you ever do anything with Noah Shabib or, I guess he had already stopped acting by that point. No, no. he was still acting, maybe a little bit. I, I don't think I did anything with him, no. He was in The Virgin Suicides. Okay. He's one of the kids that go looking for the... I was vir- shot in Toronto. I know. <laughs> I know it was. Was it... Part of the reason the snakes ended because you were acting, or is that? Oh, I wonder if that probably, in some roundabout way, because you guys were finally, you know, you'd always had underground attention yeah. and stuff, but like you guys were finally getting, you know, recognition. Like much music was playing your video, which I think we still meant something at that point. I mean, I, I, from my perspective, we sort of peaked on the third record. That's when it started to really hit a groove 
and then um and then like you know the the fourth record was was probably a little bit too big for its britches and like i think we thought that we were going to be able to graduate to a little bit of a higher level like we had some ambition we weren't just complete nihilists like i never wanted to we didn't want like lawyers or managers or whatever but like we didn't you know i i wanted to to like be a popular band like mm -hmm. we wanted to be a popular band and and i don't know if i started acting because i craved more attention and that was like well you know it's not maybe subconsciously i knew it wasn't really ever going to hit with the band um or maybe not i don't know like i'm second guessing myself here but the um the reason we stopped was kind of because we just weren't getting along. The main reason was just because we weren't really getting along. Pr primarily, like, me and Andre weren't getting along. And I was becoming an asshole. Like, I was just I was just becoming kind of resentful and being shitty to the guys in the band. And, um, and it wasn't fun. And I remember there was, like, one show that kind of just really cinched it for me. It was, like, <clears throat> on the fourth record, and we were playing in, like, in the States and I, I remember playing a show in Seattle and I don't remember what the bar was called, but it was like, you know, having played Seattle, like, I don't know, fucking 10 times up until then. Uh, and it's supposed to get better. Yeah. And it was like the worst show with the worst promotion and like the fewest attendees. I know the exact feeling. And it was like, what it. the fuck <laughs> am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? Like I've been doing this band for 10 years. We've been trying to like, evolve or like get you know it should get better with every record and it was like by all accounts like worse than the previous time we had played seattle so it was like moving backwards and i was like i don't think i can fucking emotionally deal with this because i wasn't because the thing with the snakes is we weren't like uh like career guys we were just like fair weather band you know like we weren't like the sadies who were like gonna play through thick and thin mm -hmm. because they played because they were musicians where we were like we'll play if it goes well, at least for me, I was like, I'll do this as long as it's not going to like make me nauseous. Yeah. But then too many times of it being like disappointing, I was like, okay, I give up. Like I can't, the, the cost benefit analysis just told me to, to, you know, quit while I was ahead. Well, cause you kind of, you know, and obviously you guys didn't really have, I guess, a, a typical lead singer role, but it was almost like you were cast into that lead singer role. Just no, by... I forced myself into yeah. it. Yeah, I was like, man, I, I mean, no, that's generous of you to say that, but I was like, I want some, you know, I wanted to be like the center. Uh, Andre's a better singer than me. He's a better songwriter, better musician all around. But I was like, but I, I'm going to like he doesn't have that be a fucking Rumpelstiltskin up he, there. He and doesn't like... have that desperate need for attention <laughs> yeah, that motivates exactly. all lead singers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah he, he's like, he comes by it naturally where I was like, forcing people to pay attention I, th I mean i think there's two kinds of singers i think that's good too like you want to be the bratty singer sometimes you want to see a band with like a a bratty kind of show off and then you want to see somebody who's like just actually a better singer <laughs> yeah no like for every bob mole there has to be a jello biafra yeah like there has to be someone that's yeah like doing it yeah and i think <clears throat> unless you do that people don't realize even people in your band don't realize the emotional toll that everything that happens to the band takes on you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good way of putting it. I, I like, you know, in that band, um, I took on a lot of responsibility 
And I told myself, I think it was like, well, nobody's going to fucking do this. I might as well just do it myself. But then I took on too much responsibility and then therefore like felt all of the failures. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and it was just the way that the dynamic of the band members evolved which is a kind of, as I'm sure you know, anybody that's in a band knows this, but there's that kind of like broken family thing. Like you form these sort of relationships oh, at an age where you don't even have a frontal cortex and you're like, and and then that it just kind of gets calcified. So like being, you know, like if you're like that in a marriage or a family, it would be abusive. But mm -hmm. if for some reason it's in a band, it's like, well, this is just how it works in the confines of these four tin walls of this panel van we're you know driving stuck across forever. The, stuck in forever and and so like you know people end up deferring to to the person who takes on the responsibility that took it on resentfully but then now that it's taken on it actually falls on their shoulders anyway and and then but there's still resentment for people not doing enough and i don't know it was fucked up man it's it's weird it's weird it's weird, it's weird being it's weird. in a band yeah and it's not like because I think that it's things, sort of repeating myself, but it's formed before you're an adult. Like, the the relationships are kind of calcified at a time when you don't really know how to, like, be with people. Yeah. Oh, like, like if you were to marry someone as a teenager, the odds of you staying together are, like, a trillion to one. Yeah, or you stay together in some fucking insane Weird relationship. Fuck <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, it's... it's uh, yeah, it's a very difficult situation to be in. I think being the lead singer in that situation or being the person on stage who who winds up being the, the ringmaster yeah. or the MC of the show, uh, it, it just, you open yourself up to so much more wounds. And, and like, you know, I, I one time, Gord Downey said the same thing to me. He's like, you know, as a lead singer, you're going to wear it way worse than anyone else in your band will. Yeah. And they, you will have to deal with stuff that they will not understand. And Yeah, that's it's funny. I... Even if you take it on yourself, it doesn't mean that the, uh, yeah, that the, the emotional distress isn't as, uh, oh yeah, a hundred percent. And it's like, and it's just, um, you know, I think everyone wants it until you get it. And then it's like, yeah. you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that I, I, uh, I'm glad that that band stopped playing. I'm st still on good terms with everybody in the band. And when I say we didn't get along, we didn't get along and we were all nice enough and mature enough to be like, let's not like have you know, vendettas, let's just yeah. stop. And it was like, everybody was like, cool, yeah, that's fine with me, let's stop. You guys all played together again on that Andre 7-inch that you did a couple years ago? Yeah, I guess we kind of just, that was just, yeah, Andre did a 7-inch, and I think me and Matt and Andrew just played on it for fun, kind of. But I, I really haven't played any music. Besides, I played on one thing with you yeah. guys years You're ago. You're the Pig. You're the Pig, but uh, I... Once I... Our breakout um, record. <coughs> was it? Our breakout record. The record that got us excommunicated from Max and Rock and Roll and the record that got us... Oh, the God. <laughs> they were like, these guys aren't hardcore anymore. It was a pretty harsh review. <laughs> um, yeah. That the... Uh, um, yeah, I can't remember what I was going to say, but just getting... Quitting quitting that band was like a good... Was like a good, good thing. So you don't feel like you want to play music? No. You don't feel that draw at all? Not at all. Wow. Not I kind of think I'd be the all. same as you if I walked away. Yeah. I don't think I'd feel it. No, I don't. I was never really like a musician's musician. Yeah. And again, like the film stuff I do sort of replaced it, you know? Yeah. Like as long as I'm occupied with some kind of like unfulfillable creative goal, <laughs> yeah. then I'll be fine. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. What? I guess like the Toronto garage rock sub scene of punk rock to me really takes off when you've got um, Luann with yeah. Full Blast. So there's a place to get records and sell records, and but then also like Dan Burke coming to town. Oh God. <laughs> oh my God, Dan Burke. I bet you he comes you, up a lot on this podcast. Eh? Not as much as you'd think. Really? Yeah, on the John Dwyer one, obviously, mm-hmm. came up pretty pretty heavy. Um, and it's come up a couple times, but he's he's such a, I think, it, like, obviously a legend for a lot of reasons, but I think he's a key figure in driving yeah. underground music in Toronto. Totally. I, we were pretty tight back in the day. I used to, he, he lived in my backyard for a few weeks. Because you guys were the only he was he championed you guys. Oh yeah, too, yeah. Right? He like, was he was a big champion, uh, a friend to to our band. Um, and then you guys had a home venue, kind of the Elma Combo. It felt like for a few yeah, years. we sort of well, you know, we'd kind of go between like the the Horseshoe and and the Elma Combo. Back when he had Club Shanghai, we used to play Club yeah. Shanghai. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Dan was a big. He he did something for the Toronto music scene in a huge way. I mean, he. It's so weird that guy just kind of showed up out of like I guess he got out of jail or something, and then just actually I do know a little bit of a of a story about Dan Burke that he told me. So he was he was in. He was doing time. Yeah, and I don't know if it was in Kingston or something. Okay. But part of his 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 the uh, like I don't know if it was like a job that he was doing in prison or if it was like a workplace thing after he got out on parole or whatever but part of his penitentiary life was was working in a garden that was doing poinsettias okay okay so he was like somehow he got into like poinsettias and then the poinsettias were being sold to you know how in Chinatown at Christmas they they, that's where you get the poinsettias yeah the big poinsettias sales Yeah. yeah there was a woman named and I think her husband was, and they were like poinsettia, kind of black market poinsettia people. And then so Dan was like doing like, like backdoor poinsettia deals while he's still serving time. I don't know how he got hooked up, but then they own Club Shanghai. They own that building. They right? own that yeah. building, and then through that, he was like, "Look, let's let me turn this." They have like they had like three stories in that building. Yeah, there, there, and there were two like, floors. Me... You didn't go in the middle. They yeah, were like the top floor and the middle floor. And so he he convinced these poinsettia gangsters that like I mean gangster very <laughs> lightly, but like he convinced them to let him turn those floors into clubs. <laughs> that is and amazing. I had no idea that's yeah, the origin of that place. Yeah, I mean I might be getting a couple of the details wrong, but basically that's that's the gist of it. Because I was doing uh, street reporting for Jeff Cohen, JC on Mods and Rockers at the time when Shanghai opened. Yeah. And uh, it was, that was the most amazing club in Toronto. (laughs) So many wild shows. Oh, it was crazy. Did you guys play that Question Mark and Mysterian show? I think the White Stripes played that too, right? Uh, Did the White Stripes? I remember, remember. They played their first ever show at the Shanghai. Yeah. I don't know if we played with them. I think we played with them at some point when they were still on Sympathy. Uh, but we, yeah, we, we played with Question Mark 
that was the era of like let's find some who's still alive <laughs> yes <laughs> you know, and bring like, him up Andre Williams <laughs> yeah. you know like let's like see who we can give enough trucker speed to to put him in a van and Andre Williams had like a, a run in Toronto oh like, yeah because he played with Dallas and those yeah, guys yeah played with those guys and then um, the strap before yeah. that too yeah. and uh, so I would yeah it's crazy to think how many times I got to see Andre Williams oh yeah yeah that was weird he had a, he used to play all the time here when was the first time you met Jay Riotard? In Memphis. Uh, we played there. We were on tour with the Spaceships in, I guess, like, uh, I don't know what it was, like 96 or something like that. Or 97, maybe. And um, he, we stayed with him. Like, so we played at some place, I think it was called The End of the World or something like that. And we played with the, the retards. Uh, I think they opened for us or something like that. And then it was like us, the spaceships, and the retards. And then we, and that's where I met like Greg Cartwright and like the Oblivions guys. Yeah. But yeah, we just, we all, like both bands all stayed with, with Jay. And he was, you know, he scared the shit out of me. He's a real deal. Like, yeah, he was, he was like so that. intense. Yeah. That guy. He was like, and also just Americans kind of scared me at that time. They were just like so much bigger in every way. And they just said so many more offensive things. And they crossed so many lines that I was like, oh, okay. That's that's how hard they joke on that. You know, it was just like, yeah, he was he was, he was an intense dude. And guns. The other thing that you see in America. That you yeah, see oh, yeah. It's just like everyone's got it. <laughs> You're saying it with a punk kid. Oh, yeah. And they've got a gun. Yeah, I remember going to like, like staying with people in Dallas that were like in bands, like just, yeah. you know, garage people and they had guns. And I was like, why? I remember I said like, they, this, this couple like had a sh sawed off shotgun and I was like, why? And they were like, well, some, in case somebody comes in our place. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean in case somebody comes in, you got to put a hole in them? Well, because, like, I think you don't, like, you see it growing up here on TV, you know, but it's still you go down there and you're hanging out with someone, you're like, oh, this is just like a kid that I'd see back home. You know, not that you didn't see guns in Toronto, because there were guns in Toronto, but not like well, the first time you're on tour in America. Do you know what I remember noticing a lot in the States was, like, <clears throat> um, that the people that I knew that were in bands in Canada, and even if they were in, like you know, really grimy punk bands or were kids on welfare in Ottawa, they were, like, generally not, like, gonna be in jail, you know? Mm. Like, I think that maybe there's obviously exceptions, but a lot of the... If you're into, like, music, it's a pretty... For the most part, it's a pretty, like, middle-class kind of, like, dalliance, you know? You can... Where, like, if you're into punk music and you live in... Uh, you know, Lansing, Michigan, or you live in Dallas, Texas, or you live in D.C. or something, you, they, you're you way more on the periphery. Like, there were people that were like, I, you know, I would be like 25 years old and then would meet people that had been in jail for, like, writing bad checks yeah. that were in a band that I just played with. or And, like, it just, I think it was more, <clears throat> there was more kind of, like, desperation being in a punk band in the States. Like, there was more of a stigma we're here, it it kind of was like, like oh, you could do that and still be quote-unquote normal or still be like a middle-class kid that went to art school or something. And certainly they had those people too, but I didn't meet like real uh, like 
pariahs the way I did in the States. I think the garage rock scene also is very different in Canada at that point versus in America, where yeah. it was like a lot like heavier dudes in some places. Yeah. Like a lot more druggy. <clears throat> Not yeah. that it didn't become very druggy up here, too. But. Yeah, no, I remember actually I heard you and Brace Belden talking about that. Like the people that were that were at some of those, like even him when he was young. Yes. Yeah. Still young. But like there was so much more fucking weirdos in that scene. Yeah. And here, it, I mean, yeah, it just felt kind of like you could go in and out, you know? It was also smaller here. Maybe that's Maybe why. Maybe just like, fewer people. Like, we all, like, we could basically run through, like, a list of names of people that were yeah. at these shows, and it would probably be, like, the same 50 people. Yeah. That were thinking yeah. of. I guess, yeah, just by sheer numbers. Yeah. more of a chance of... But, yeah, that was... Yeah, the Jay, Jay was definitely, like, a guy who was not, like, doing it for, you know, for fun, or, like, yeah, that was, like, character. all he could... Yeah, he wasn't posing. It was... He was just, like, lived that life all the time yeah like if he wasn't doing this it'd be like what yeah it's like a much scarier situation absolutely yeah getting into it that totally time. Yeah, yeah yeah uh what was the first deadly snakes tour was it the one with the spaceships uh yeah it was with the spaceships we were we just i guess we toured on like a a, a 45 like we did a split yeah. seven inch with them <laughs> on sympathy for the record industry and then that was like all right we have a record let's go on tour which yeah. goes for hundreds of dollars now is it really yeah it's a big expensive record that one Wow. Pretty sure that, yeah. Because they're yeah. all out of print. Yeah. And stuff, and really I like keeping it. stuff out of print. I think somebody wanted to, like, reprint Andrew from the Snakes. He he still kind of, like, keeps up, you know, whatever kind of... He's on tour right now with Pink Mountain. Talking. Yeah, I mean, he still plays yeah. music, yeah. but, but but I mean, like, for as far as the Snakes goes, he's, like, any enthusiasm that's left, he's he would be the person to talk to about it, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, so he was talking about reprinting repressing the records and i was like hey if you want to do it like go for it but i was but in my heart i'm like i kind of like just leaving something the where it is you know like i don't like if there was ever a band that was never going to reform and play it is the deadly snakes like i i can sit here and tell you with absolute certainty that we will never play another show i've had people say that on the show and then two weeks later they're no, like we're thinking about Damien, doing i i i would sooner <laughs> like jump down a well what, like, do you think you couldn't do it now? i physically couldn't do it do you think I it's like could, nerves and anxiety it's not that it's just like i'm it's just so fucking over like yeah. i just it's like death like the idea of it's pride it's pride yeah. it's like i'm not going to do something that's like I, it just would make me feel so ashamed of like, okay, well, I guess what can I do? I can like go back to pretending I'm 25 years old. Like it just, it's so, it's just, it would be so humiliating for me. And also just like, it's such a dead gesture. It's like, don't go back, go yeah. forward. You know, like that's the wrong direction. It doesn't matter if there's some kind of fleeting satisfaction. And I know I'm being like, this is just for me. I'm not yeah. talking, I'm not speak for any or any other bands because you can talk to like a less neurotic person and they're like, whatever, it's fun. Like people like the band, go play a show. I'd love to see a band. But like, I'm just like, it just won't happen. Like I can't, I just, I just think it's like fundamentally wrong. Yeah. And sad. It makes me, the idea of doing that is just like, it just has no, I don't know. Yeah. Something very depressing about it. And there are a few that haven't, you know, like there, there are very few that haven't come back. Yeah. But 
Um, but even even also, there's like, who asked you? Like nobody's at nobody's. It's not like it's kind of like okay if you have to, I get it. But it's like you can't create your own demand by oh we're getting back together. And then like you know people are like. Oh. Cares, you know? well, I don't know. Look at Unwound. Unwound sold out shows all over America now. I would go see Unwound. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Everyone... Yeah. Again, it just applies to me. But, I'm not. I'm not gonna like project this on other people. Yeah. This is just my. But even like putting the records yeah. back in print, like that's not something that like. No, I don't care. Yeah. I uh, just think it's like, man, like I don't want to go to high school again either. Yeah. You know, I don't want to like date my first girlfriend again. I don't want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. I want it, like, I want good things to happen in the future. I don't want to live in the past. Yeah. Desperate Bicycles never reissued any of their stuff. Who? Desperate Bicycles. They're, like, the first, like, actively championing DIY UK okay. punk band. Right, right. And they've always said, like, we just never want to put it back in print. People have asked them, but yeah. they just don't want to do it because they don't want to take up space from new bands. They're just like, no. Yeah. Let people do what they want to do. Yeah, I'm into it. I get that. I think there's... And not that you owe anyone anything, right? But there's also that other thing, like you're saying, there's like this fan service side of it, right. which is the other argument. Like you're saying, like, as a person that would want to go and see Unwound, there's someone that's, the Deadly Snakes are the Unwound too. Yeah. But, but then once you know, again, you're not obligated to do anything, right? I think that another, you know, there was a bit of a sweet spot being in that band because you get to be still kind of anonymous, like it's pre-internet, so there isn't like every dumb fucking thing I ever said on some <laughs> blog or like every music video or live show on YouTube. Like it's just, it just was. And now it isn't. Yeah. And that's like, it's good. It's hard to shake off. I mean, you're still in a band and, and you're active and great and still like making good records. And, but like, imagine you weren't in fucked up. You would still be the guy in fucked up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like for it, it took me, I it took me like longer than I was in a band to just be like, I'm not a band guy anymore. Yeah, you no, know, like yeah. look now I'm a, I'm a film and TV guy. You know what I mean? But even <laughs> still, like we're sitting here just talking about bands. But like that first thing that you make, like the first impression that you make on you know the general population, is the one that people remember. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm weirdly in uh, because I've done like so many things that are just weirdly culty that people don't really know about on certain mainstream levels, but right. so some people, I'm just the guy from that wrestling TV show. Oh yeah, I guess so. Some yeah, people have you no have other idea about the, the fucked up side of thing, but like, yeah, right. Like now, like I'm, I'm, I carry the baggage yeah. of fucked up with me for life. Like, a, yeah, it, but it's, you guys existed at a very interesting time, not just technologically wise, but also musically wise before the sound that you're doing really kind of like, really kind of found its like audience. Yeah. Uh, especially those early tours. Like, you would be touring... Like, I guess there were, like, little pockets of kind of crypt records. Yeah. Detroit was always good for yeah. that. There was, like... L.A. had something, because that's where Sympathy and In the Red were. Like, there was definitely... Maxwell. Chicago like was always amazing for that. They always good, good bands in that genre. But, um... Yeah, I guess, like... It was... I mean, if you're going to put it into, like, watershed events, it's, like... Before the White Stripes and after the White Stripes. Yeah. And, um... It's like the Nirvana of the sound. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, we kind of petered out pretty much just after the White Stripes got really big. Yeah. I remember playing a show in in Kentucky. 
and the band that opened for us was um we played in this like frat house and the band that opened was the black keys and <laughs> yeah. i remember thinking like oh shit those poor guys like they're just doing they're doing like a white stripes thing because it was just like a guitar player and a drummer and they were they seemed like nerdy and uh and I that I remember thinking like, oh, this is a blues hammer band for sure, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like they're playing like Delta with a with a with a fuzz pedal, yeah. you know. And and I was thinking like, I mean, it just goes to show how how I shouldn't have been in a band because I couldn't see the writing on the wall. But I was like, <laughs> oh, these poor guys. But they're like a band <clears> like. <throat> There's so there's a couple times where you just see a band and it's like a glitch in the matrix scenario. Like obviously he's very handsome, the singer of the Black Keys. Like he's got those dreamy eyes and stuff sure. like that. But like he's not Mick Jagger up there. Yeah. You know, like it's not like like you look at uh what's that guy who just got his whole life class cuz he was having an affair. Um oh fuck, he was oh, a judge I... on the voice. I'm trying to remember his name now. I, I, Anyways, I'm vaguely aware of this. Some yeah. pop band, but he, yeah. he's got the moves like Jagger, right? Like he even got a song about it, right? And he, okay. he moves around like a lead singer. Black Keys don't have it. It's like Nirvana, like a band yeah. where you're like, wow, that band got popular. Oh, yeah, but Kurt Cobain had charisma. I think it's the Blue Eyes. But he had charisma in like a <laughs> negative set. Like, it's like an anti-charisma. If you watch interviews yeah, with him, I, it's like I, a goober kind of vibe. Yeah, I mean, I remember being in love with him, but I don't ever remember being in love with with the guy from the Black Keys. No, but I think we were like of the era to be like where we where Kurt Cobain was deified to yes. us, and and the yes. Black Keys thing happened later. From yeah, then when we were kind of out of that, I'm sure there's someone that you know, the guy from the Black Keys is Kurt Cobain or they're Kurt Cobain. I don't know. Maybe I'm sure it exists. <laughs> my obviously my my telepathy or my 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 predictable tendencies are off, so I'm I'll, not gonna. I was gonna be in a Guess band. On I was gonna be in a band with a drummer for like a hot minute. Oh yeah, yeah, but it just didn't happen. And then I met the guy. and I'm like, hey, you and me were gonna be in this band together, and he was just like such a dick. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, the, the, sometimes it just. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just it didn't feel right to me. It felt kind of like I was like, well, there's already a two man band. Like, there's already the White Stripes playing, like blues heavy blues like why do you need two and then the leather uppers are up here like what the fuck oh they were fucking great that's actually you know what that's they were the missing link what that's the missing link there was the band from toronto that were a garage band Mm -hmm. that went from being like they were like local guys that i was super young watching that band like craig and greg and they would do a split with like the icky boyfriends like some san francisco kind of mummies affiliated band yeah that was, they were actually kind of, uh, uh, yeah, missing. And, and Shadowy Men, too. Yeah, like for sure. Shadowy totally. Men would yeah, be yeah, on yeah. K Records, you yep. know, and like they, Shadowy Men were cool. Yes. Like at a time sure. when there weren't a lot of like cool things coming from Canada. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There, there are like those bands that kind of did it first in that way, like yep. realize like, you know, we got to, there's, there's greener pastures out beyond these borders. For sure. Where, you know, not everyone's going to be into the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So do you ever feel nowhere to do music again? No. And even on a solo thing? Oh, my God. No. Damn, dude. No, I, 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 I had, like, ten songs in me. And they're all, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. The, the, there's nothing left. <laughs> you guys self-released your first 7-inch? Was that a self-release thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, like, a friend of ours that put, a, put it out. But it was basically self-released, yeah. I love all the Toronto records from that era. 
Yeah. The first Sadie seven inch, that seven inch. Yeah. That's, that's, those are going to be collector records because you don't, you know. Oh my God. We had no idea what we were doing. That record was never even, it wasn't mastered. It was just like mixed and then pressed. (laughs) There was like, because you guys had, and you need to have this attitude, like you need to ruffle people's feathers in order to kind of make it a place. But I remember there was just like, like I was saying at the beginning, there was so much animosity towards you guys. Yeah. And I, because I was friends with, I was through Flanagan, but I knew Mark Jarrett. Yeah. Yeah. We had a beef with Mark Jarrett. Mark Jarrett. It felt like there were like a lot of hardcore kids that were like, oh, fuck the deadly snakes. Yeah. Yeah. No, we loved that. And we, we leaned into it. Like we wanted to be hated. Uh, and we wanted to, like, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, like, we, we manufactured beefs because, you know, we were young and full of energy. And, yeah. yeah, there was a kind of, like, thing between, like, Flans and Mark Jarrett and Allison, all of who I'm very fond of now yeah. and, and yeah. friends with. But, like, um, yeah, I don't think it was really based on anything. And I think maybe the thing with, to bring it back to, like, hardcore is hardcore. Like, I was pretty into hardcore when I was young. And then... And then it started to feel like something that I didn't want to be part of because it does have an earnestness to it that was like kind of uh, like at odds with the more kind of like, I don't give a fuck. Like, because at least when I was into like, you know, like the sort of Will Monroe era hardcore. That's a super it was earnest like, period of hardcore. It was very too. earnest. Yeah. There was a lot of um, preaching that was like, you know, as heart I said, like food records, not bombed. Yeah. Abolition. And like a lot of patches, yeah. a lot of yeah. like politics, a lot of like vegan potlucks, uh, get Pepsi out of Burma, you know, like all of that. There was a lot of that stuff tied to it. And then, and then I guess as a kind of reaction to that, I was like, no, now I want to be stupid. You know what I mean? Like I, now I want to act like I don't care and be offensive. And that was like the first kind of years of the snakes. It was just like being provocative and bratty. Mm-hmm. And like, but it's also just, that's a progression of like a, a boy's brain. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, like, you know, ingratiate yourself to a group of people and then tell them to fuck off. Yeah. I think it's also like, now that I understand this thing, I can rebel against it. Yeah. And I can, uh, and, and, and it feels like it's a very, it, it's a natural thing where you have this older generation that's telling you like, here's this thing, here's how we do this thing. And you got to be like, well, no, I'm going to carve my own space into it and do it my way. Yeah. This will be my version of this. Exactly. And I think that also I did start getting a little sick of like the, the more, the more, um, like histrionic hardcore stuff, like half man or something where it was just like somebody like literally crying and talking about like poor children in Sudan between songs, you know, it's like. I, I, I was like, this is too much. I just kind of want to hear music, you know? Well, especially because it's, it's weird because, you know, not necessarily even talking about half me, but like a, when bands use politics to provide entertainment, yeah. it's almost like there's an exploitation of the situation that goes on there. And it's not necessarily if someone's like, this is their personal struggle that they've been through mm-hmm. or they're actively involved in this struggle and they're <clears> relating <throat> their experience, but a lot of it can sometimes come off like poverty porn or like oh, absolutely. oppression porn. Absolutely. In... Especially, you know, when you're at that age, when you think that, you, you know, you've experienced something, but you know, it's, it's young people doing it, you know yeah. what I mean? That haven't really, they don't really know what life is like yet. Well, that's the other thing that's amazing too, is we're like, <laughs> you know, like 
these these sets of rules and these doctrines that were put out by these people that were teenagers in some cases. I know, like, how could 20s. there be a dogmatic teenager? And you're like, why would, why would I listen to what a teenager is telling me, like, what kind of food I'm supposed to eat, you know? Like, yeah. It's like, fucking just settle down, sonny boy. Yeah, but, like, Jesus, like, he died at 33, right? Yeah, but that was old back then. Yeah, I know, but, like, he, like <laughs> think of how much more living you did between <laughs> I know, 33 and now. Like, you know, we're like, people are still subscribing to this thing. This guy hadn't even seen 40. He had no idea what was coming. I know, but he was hardcore. He was hardcore. <laughs> he was a terrorist, according to Joe Biafra. Yeah, Jesus sure. was a terrorist. Yeah, that's, that's right. Awesome. That's on rips. But yeah, Danko also was another guy that had a lot of beefs back then too. Oh yeah, we started out kind of friends with Danko. Like I think we played at the laundromat, like a just an underground illegal oh, I remember place in, in, Market. in Kensington. Yeah, um, and and then. And then we just started arbitrarily beefing with them. Although I was always kind of friends with, with John Calabresi. Like it just, it was more like band beef. It didn't necessarily yeah, involve people, the people beef. in the band. Um, well, like you're saying, it's a lot of it's largely performative. Yes. When you're like having these beefs at that point. Yeah. Because you know, you know, you're like one step away from this actual person. Yeah, I mean, and the performative thing gets mixed up with what you think is real or what I thought was real. Like I thought, okay, let's make the snakes into kind of gang. We're going to be like greasers or something, yeah. you know, like that's the aesthetic is greasers and we're going to like smoke and yeah. we're going to like yeah. drink and, and, you know, be vulgar or whatever. And, and then you, I thought it was real, but it was extremely performative. And then it extends to like having beefs with people, which I thought was real, but in retrospect, it was like, yeah, the whole thing was, was an act, but that's kind of what adolescence or post-adolescence is. I think it's just like, you're trying out personalities or you're trying out things and overdoing them. Well, it's funny because like people come on this podcast and be from, you know, like, um, I'm trying to think of a given scene, but from a small, like from these scenes yeah, and they'll talk about how the lack of competitiveness that exists in these scenes. And I'm like, I can't relate to that at all because Toronto was intensely competitive oh god yeah and these beasts kind of spurned on your creativity in a band like you like totally yeah you wanted to be better. it was it was it was it absolutely it's like a negative drive yeah. it's like a pessimistic kind of but it, it i remember being like and and then you make teams like we would make a team with the spaceships and then their beefs became yeah, our beefs. so they had a beef. they had a beef with what was that band uh tricky woo yes they had a beef with tricky woo and we were like fuck tricky woo and so we would like you know flip off those guys if we were in montreal or talk smack about them and then they would do the same thing with whatever bands we beefed it was just like yeah, it was it was like, oh cool, we have a couple things in common musically, so everything else is our enemy. You know the story about when uh, the Tricky Woo guys cuz they beefed, I think it was over that Space Shit's beef. <laughs> it spilled into a SSG like pre-Vice record Shane Gavin Sarush beef. Okay. And the Tricky Woo guys caught those caught Shane Gavin and Sarush leaving the Buff Tech one night and beat the shit out of them and the lead singer Tricky Woo bit off the top of Gavin's ear. Really? Yeah. Was his name Andrew or something? I think so. There's a documentary about them coming out. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. See, I was just... I, I'm lucky I never got my ass handed to me because I'm fucking <laughs> well, that's like short as shit. Well, that's, <laughs> like, what I, <laughs> that's what I see to Flanagan all the time about Robin Black when he would fuck with Robin Black all those times. I'm like, dude, you are lucky. Yeah. He would have fucking oh torn you God. apart. The guy fought in the UFC. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, that yeah, it was kind of fun to go around and just like mouth off to people yeah. and and somehow not get your nose punched in. <laughs> it felt very much like everyone was playing kind of the same game in a yeah. way. Like it obviously there were certain situations that were unacceptable, but for the most part a lot of this stuff was just you know kind of spurning us on. Yeah, and I think if you travel in a gang and and you make gestures that are, you know, confrontational i think what what we thought was probably like oh we're cool we're intimidating these guys are scared of us but really people were like hold on what's going on what's happening right now and then you're gone you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and there's also that safety that comes you know from being someone that gets picked on for being different the first time you're in a group that's like yeah you don't have to worry about being picked on yeah and you can finally be weirdos yeah yourselves. yeah it's great that was it's, it's it was intoxicating great. It was a good feeling yeah yeah definitely it's intoxicating and i think once again it's all this stuff led to so much cool and interesting music happening and people putting out records and yeah spurned on to where we are now right like all these scenes we're talking about like there would be yeah it's weird to think about where music would be without these scenes back then it's weird i still have like a like a lot of my references for things come from being in a band, I mean, everything is sort of one different version of one microcosm of something else. Like, yeah. there's only so many patterns in the world. But, like, being, like, in film, in, like, the, you know, Canadian film industry is, like, really, it, it's, there's so many, th- it's so different than being in a band because it's kind of, it's all, in, in a way, it's, it would be like being in music. It's like, so much of it is all one thing and there's yeah. so much crossover. But, you know, like I, this movie that I, I made, I sold to uh, a distributor called Oscilloscope in, in the States. And it was like, oh, this is getting signed to In the Red. Like this is, this is the moment when the Deadly Snakes got signed to In the Red. Like I sold my movie to a cool distributor, which is a label, Yeah. which, oh, like, and then you can see the records that they put out. And you're like, oh, that's a good label. You know, or like you could see the movies that they distributed. Like, oh, that's a good I'm part distributor. of that catalog now. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm part, part of that, that catalog now. But like so much of the other stuff of working in, like acting, obviously, like you have very, like I'll take jobs and like, I would never be in a band that sucked when I was in a band, but I'll be in a show that <laughs> sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's not <laughs> I mean, I'm almost exclusively in shows that suck. Well, but the same way you would never want to make something as in farm in terms of film or video that sucks yeah the stuff that i make on my own yeah is i guess more like yeah more because you're not like a parochial. set yeah yeah i mean but i'm but as far as like the being, being involved yeah. in things it you can't really be as picky i mean i guess if you're really talented you can but i, I haven't but been able to do right? that like i look at some of these celebrities and i'm like how much money like you can say no. Yeah. Like there's some things that people do, and it's like, wow, it's like, like. I, I, because I think in, you could be forgiving of an actor that's in something shitty. Yeah. But you can't really be forgiving of a, a person that's in a terrible band. Yeah. Like they got to do a lot of work. It's like, you know, you were in, fucking, I don't know. I I, I gotta watch what I say yeah, here. I Let's just. <laughs> I'm like, where are you going to go with this one? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, like, we'll just stick with Great Big C. Like, you were in Great Big C, and now you're in, like, uh, you know, a fucking hardcore band? Like, yeah. I don't buy it. Yeah. Like, But, yeah, if you're, like, you know, I'm on some 
dumbass television series. Nobody's going to be like, oh, you're not a legit actor. Like, yeah. yeah but also, which kind of brings us to another topic that has to do with generations, I think, is like the, you know, the idea of like selling out or something. I think that people that are, are grew up the way we did in the ways that we have in common is like the idea of selling out is like something that it still haunts me, like yeah. where it just does, does not Out exist. Well, there's for you can't do it. Like everyone has to sell out as soon as you enter the music industry now, because there's no independent channels, right? Like you're going to just put your record on Bandcamp. Well, that's kind of a corporation too. Yeah. You know, Spotify is definitely a corporation. Yeah. Apple music, Amazon, like anywhere you want to distribute your music, you're corporately involved from the get go. And yeah. now we're all in the muck together. Like, Discord's right beside EMI, is right beside... Is it? In the Red. Like, they're, we're all on these streaming services, right? So we're oh, yeah, all right, technically way, yeah. now with a major label distributor. Yeah, I mean, no, I, but just, like, even the concept of selling out or the concept of... Like, I was talking to a friend. She's, I don't know, she's younger than me by at least, like, 10 years. And she was saying something about how her... her she got a new job and she was like, oh, my boss is, like kind of annoying or whatever mm. she's like he's a nice guy but i just don't you know i don't this is i don't want to hang out with him outside of work or something like that and i was i was like oh really like what is it that you don't like about him she's like i don't know he's really nice but he's he's from like he's like generation x or you know a little bit younger but he's like really believes in like authenticity like he's still got this authenticity thing like he thinks that he should be authentic mm. and she was telling me and I was thinking like oh I think he should be authentic you know what I mean like I was like oh like that's actually important to me like the yeah. idea of authenticity even if it is like you know maybe there's nothing that's really authentic at all yeah. maybe everything is a fucking posture no, but, now like, it's like... but the idea of like authenticity as a good quality is like not for everybody no no everyone... and it's like I, how, how could you have any pride how could you how could you like do anything if it was inauthentic like it just i'm still looking for for like chinks in the armor you know yeah like if somebody shows any kind of authenticity i'll come down on them so hard you know but it's like that's so antiquated <laughs> yeah that's such a weird hang up from from people that grew up at a specific place in a specific time i think we came from a time when there was still hope that you could avoid becoming part of the machine yeah. But now we live in a world where we're already in the machine. Yeah, but all the more reason to fucking tear Oh, absolutely. Out. Absolutely. Now more the reason than ever to kind of like yeah. make authentic things. But, you know, at the same time, like, there are people that just repost old photos on Instagram that have way more of a footprint than I will ever have, <laughs> you know. I know. Just doing this. Like, people that are just literally stealing other people's content for years, you yeah. know. Bootlegging merch. And yeah. putting it up for sale as their own. I'm really good at images. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, well, there's another, like, uh, there's this person, there's people that make t-shirts now that are just like, they take the shittiest, most banal pop artist. Yeah. And they'll put it on like a crash shirt. Yeah. And try and make, you know, like, it's like repurposing McDonald's food. Trying right. To make it look oh, like, right, 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 right. You know, five star meals or Michelin star restaurants. But they do that too. That's also an Instagram account you can go look at where someone takes old McDonald's food and just makes it look fancy by plating it differently. Totally. Like there's a, are you familiar with Mr. Beast? This is a favorite topic of mine I, on the show. Somebody that I, my sister-in-law, somebody, I can't remember who it is, was talking about him because she's doing like, she's doing, she works for like Shopify and she's doing something, her and my 
sister were talking about Mr. Beast. He's a YouTube guy. He's or a YouTube guy. And See, I don't know about that. I don't want to know about that. And it, there's no way it can be anything. There can be no value in it. I'm just going to go out on a he, limb and say that. He makes the Black Keys look like Van Halen in terms of <laughs> charisma and personality. <laughs> you know, like you watch this show and I'll watch it with my kids because I'm fascinated well, by it. What does he do? Spends his money. That he has. He's got lots of money. He, he occasionally plays video games, best I can determine. Oh, that's right. My niece was like, because he gives away money or yeah, something. Yeah, gives away money. And I was like, oh, that's awful. And she, my niece is like 13. She was like, no, it's nice. He gives people money. And I was like, no, nah, it's it's just capitalist fetishism. Yeah. You don't understand. No, it's it terrible. Occurred. It's bad. And she was like, you're crazy. Well, like, it's like, this is the next evolution. Like, we had, you, you used to have to be, you know, famous for doing something. Right. And then you became famous because you produced something. And then you became, then you could become famous for being famous, you know, like yeah, that was yeah, the, sure, the sure. buzzword. Now it's almost like post that where you're just <clears throat> famous for the money. Like they cut out right. all the edifice right. of it. And now it's just like, no, no, it's like all the time these people were famous because they could generate capital for people. But wow. now it's just because capital that they're famous. And that it's so far from good. It's weird. But then also I watch some other stuff my kids watch on YouTube. There's one guy they're obsessed with, and he just does, like, these videos where it's just him making quick little Lego models, just his hands. Okay. And this guy's got millions and millions of people watching these. Right. Just make these quick little Lego models. I mean, some of that models. stuff, I think it's kind of interesting. I think something like, and it definitely says something about our current culture, if, if, if people watch, like, you know, videos of somebody processing a fish, or like that, those kind of just banal, real, quote-unquote, like, real-life process things that have like a soothing effect i don't i don't think that's worth it i think it's interesting i think that non-narrative kind of you know like watching machinery like something like a hot dog machine or something you know i think that's interesting i think that that's like valuable and and cool uh and i think that it is weird that people can be famous just for being famous and i think that there's a lot of room for like post post modern art that references those things and i i don't not, i don't think it's all bad some of it i think is just rubbish but like you know that the way that like nathan fielder deals with narrative or something is fucking fascinating it's like that's super modern and 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 has everything to do with like the effects of reality television mm -hmm. or like the effects of like self-surveillance or you know whatever privacy is now and but it's still good. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's a lot of stuff that's, like, a lot smarter and progressive than what my calcified brain can come up with that embraces things that, on the surface, look pretty bad. Yeah. I think because we have, uh, there's no such thing as critical, the critical class is gone. Like, the entire class of, like, stuff that had been elevated to a plateau because it was great. Right. Is gone. Like, now it's just popular. But I think it's kind of good to tear that stuff down. I think it's good to tear that stuff down. But then I was like, uh, Black Adam, the new rock DC superhero movie that's just come out. Okay. It's it's going to be the biggest movie in the world this okay. weekend. Thing, uh, this weekend. Um, I saw a critic writing about, this is the greatest movie I ever saw in my life. And the fact that The Rock has retweeted my critique of this movie, has me crying tears of joy right now. Thank you, Rock. Thank you, thank you. Okay, well, what what what, what periodicals are you reading, Damien? I, this was like a large 
well-established, you know, like, you know, it's not, it's not cinemascope, but at the same time, like, this is like the places that people are turning to for criticism. Like, that kind of critical review of a movie did not exist. No. (laughs) In another time. And as much as we're shitting on, not shitting on, you know, different generations and stuff like that, I do feel like the machine is such now that it's just, it, it, it's so fine-tuned through yeah. social media and our, our, our consumption of media now yeah. to steer us to wherever makes the most profit that people don't even realize that they're part of that machine in, yeah. in the critical sphere. No, no. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, like it's good to veer off the path and make mistakes and make bad stuff and do try new things. And it seems like it is, it's hard to do that now. Even just like psychologically, it feels more wrong to stray off the path now than it did before. You're yeah. more you're more alone now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely because I think we were all like as much as you didn't mix with like the goth kids and the metal kids, like as much as we were right. all but we were all in the muck together. <clears throat> right. So in a pinch when you found yourself in a situation where it was just a punk, a goth a metalhead <laughs> and a graffiti writing hip hop like kid. Beginning of a joke. Or yeah, something. but like, but you would gravitate to, towards each other because you knew, yeah, you were all in not being part of this mainstream. Yeah, thing together. Sure. Yeah, and now the mainstream is just everything. You know, I think like, so. Yeah, it, it assumes garage rock, hardcore, like it's all yeah. part of the mainstream. I mean, now. there's like, your show is called "Turned Out a Punk." I mean, do you talk about like punk? What is punk now? If there's still punk, I think it's. I think punk is the best thing about the show is that we all have our own connection and definition of what it is. Okay. And everybody's going to be a poser to somebody else. Okay. Because none of us are true to this thing that we all think we have the true definition of. So, yeah, like, I, I you know, as much as it's dead, like, I've had people on the show that's been like, punk Punk died in 1977. Right. And, I was, but at the same time, there's like kids that are putting on shows in DIY spaces that this is bringing them hope and, you know, so it's, it's not dead as much as it is dead. Can I say what I think yeah, punk is? Yeah, because, yeah, this is your show. I think punk is contrary. I think that's all it is. That's all it was. And I'm saying that in a good way. I think it's just a, a necessary contradiction. And whatever is mainstream, whatever is accepted, the, like doing doing the opposite of that and making those people uncomfortable that's punk and that's not always good or cool or pretty but it's like it like if to i mean maybe Sid Vicious isn't like the perfect example of punk but he's certainly like the pedestrian example he's, he's of punk. a murderer so maybe we don't go to him first well, no but i mean like just the, unless you buy into the rockets red glare theory I, 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 I'm not getting into like what, who killed Nancy, but like, I just, you know, if you take like the, the, the sex pistols kind of mainstreaming of punk wearing or New York dolls or whoever, like wearing swastikas, like at that time, if you're in England was like, what is going to piss my parents off the most? Like mm-hmm. this war generation, this like Churchill's kind of king and country that their parents were of that age, like the most contradictory and the most offensive thing that, that somebody could do would be to like wear the emblem of their parents' enemy from the defining generational battle. Yeah. So that seems to me like anything that is in kind of like, what's going to be the most offensive, what's going to be the most contradictory thing. That's, 
punk, but I think to now it's like really weird because like is is fucking the most I mean I guess like Gigi Allen is like the punkest guy that ever lived or something. No, but... I think I think I I don't know I think Will Monroe's the punkest guy that ever lived. Well, see, you know, I, that's the thing is like I think as much <clears> as you <throat> do have like the Sex Pistols, there were people in New York going, "Those guys are fucking posers." I I know that's why I was that's why I was like, hesitant to use this, but I'm just you mean, know, but that's yeah. what I mean. Like it's at the same time as you had Gigi Allen, you also had Kent McClard doing Ebullition and Heart Attack and people doing Food on Bombs in the park also claiming punk so i think as much as it is i think it is i agree with you it is something that stands in opposition but it stands in opposition to authority whatever that authority takes to you as a person yeah but but uh, my my view of it is that it doesn't even have like a bigger meaning it's just contrary for the sake of being contrary it's not like yeah where will or like you know like the people that were in punk that were doing good things and virtuous things that was why they did it because they wanted to help people where the i think punk is like the dumber it is the more punk it is i i i definitely see that side of it i see i see all sides of this thing like i really do feel but i do think at the same time what punk to me is is a place that says you as an individual specifically as a young individual are valid and what you have to say in the wake of this giant fucking machine all around you is important and and whether or not you have the skills whether or not yeah. you have the equipment to do it just do it and i think that's the greatest takeaway that that's the thing that punk gave to the world i think yeah but I, you know what i think that it that's where that's where it starts and then to do something actually great it's the people that came out of that that it's like post that part like the after the contrary after the like you know peacocking around and being you know different then great things can come from that i don't i think that that the punkness itself is is actually just has to stay dirty and ugly and stupid i think no i think there's a pure core that yeah. i don't think it has to stay dirty ugly and stupid but i think it has to stay dirty and ugly um and i think that thing is always going to be there and it's going to change it's going to yeah. be it changes but you eventually age out of that and it's given to a new group of kids that will take that and run like the generation that you're talking about, the classic studios, my generation got it next. And we were like the Who's Emma generation of kids. Right. And from the Who's Emma generation, like another group of kids got it. Like the, I guess the Shebees kids, I guess. Like there was like a generation, you know, and it's just kind of handed from generation to generation. It's this energy that like, yeah, like not everyone drawn to it's going to wind up doing great things and amazing things. But man, Beto O'Rourke and Cedric from At The Drive and then Feist were on tour together as we were talking about before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. You know, like those, like, look at the people that were in five Arlington shows from yourself to, like, people that were in, uh, in, like, Sean Scallon, people that wanted to be in Arcade Fire, people that nearly brought down the U.S. democracy. Yeah. People that are in Godspeed yeah, yeah, to yeah. Black Emperor. And there's only, like, what, 50 people, 100 people yeah, that's in these it's shows? Yeah, it's funny, yeah. It's, it's, it's a place that brought all of us to it and speaking for myself who has no musical ability no i didn't have access to musical instruments growing up so i could play it or learn them but i found an entry point to it and i don't i wouldn't be doing this without this like there's no way i'd be doing music without punk yeah no i yeah i mean i'm not saying that to just be disparaging it no but the concept it's just it it seems kind of like as, as soon as there's like orthodoxy 
around it, it kind of dies, or as soon as there's like a little bit too much thought in it, it becomes something else. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. I think it should. But like, I what think... about Discord? Right? Like, you're talking about Discord. Discord is the think, most see, orthodoxy. I know, but I don't, that's what I'm saying. I don't think that's like punk rock. I think that's hardcore, and I think they're completely different things. Well, see, that's that's where we disagree. Okay. That's it. And I, you you the are person. actually the, the authority on no, this. No, no, but I'm, I'm not. Just some... I know I'm not, because I think, like, like, um, you know, Scott Vogel, you probably saw it. Did you ever see uh, Slugfest back in the day? He used to play with Chokehold occasionally. I never saw them, but okay, I know he's like a, He's like a Buffalo legend, hardcore legend. Yeah. And he's he hates, <laughs> hates anything but hardcore and a very specific brand of emo that existed in, like, the late 90s, it feels like. That, right. That's, like, the only stuff he really fucks with. Okay. And doesn't carry any of this punk stuff. So there's lots of people that I know that don't, necessarily consider the two of them interconnected in the same way that I feel they're interconnected. I feel like, um, I feel like that all of us have a valid definition of it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, in a way, I guess I'm also just kind of talking about it as a, as like a, a word, like what, what, what do I think of when I, if, if I said somebody was a punk, I, I mean, not like, Oh no, he's cool. He's a punk. If, if, if I said like that, punk ass bitch like i would think that he doesn't respect anybody or anything you know what i mean it's kind of like the word just in colloquially people have straight up turned down the podcast because it's called turned out a punk really and they were like i (laughs) I don't want to be a punk punk. (laughs) and and i can totally once again understand people's aversion to it but that's their baggage they're bringing to that word yeah i think we all bring like when you say punk like i think a different image and a different band will pop into all of our heads yeah you know, when we when we actually, as long as we have a relationship to it, like mainstream people, obviously, will go to certain bands. What's the first? Who's the first person that comes to your head when when you think of the word punk? Poison Idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just That's think good. like in terms of a band that straddled the sketchy side of things. Yeah. When I, learned, I was listening to an interview with Kat, with Toby Vale from Bikini Kill yesterday, yeah. and uh, apparently, Kathleen Hanna roadied for Poison Idea. Really? Could you fucking imagine that tour? Uh, wow. That's cool. I like hearing those, like, this person roadied for this yeah. person. Like, wasn't it the guy from LCD Sound Systems used to do sound for um, Six Finger Satellite? James Murphy? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, he is, uh, yeah, like like Jason Green from Orchid is like, their tour DJ. Yeah. And is, like, super tight with them. But, yeah, he's a total punk dude from and, back like, somebody... Day. Eric Wareheim used to be in Ink and Dagger, the vampire Oh, yeah, band. I remember that. <laughs> I mean, oh. Do you remember that little... I remember that little scene when it was, like, kind of goth emo, like the... Oh, yeah. The, that was funny. It was awesome. Yeah. And that stuff's back now, too, the goth emo stuff. But this is one. So there's an urban legend that years ago at an American Nightmare show in L.A. that Ryan Gosling came in, paid the cover, and busted a stage dive. When you were filming really? Lars and the Real Girl, did you get an idea that he might have been a hardcore kid or a punk kid? Uh, he was into music for sure. He had a band, and then he actually got in touch with like um, with Arish from like King Kong, yeah, and asked him if he would produce his record. Oh, wild! And he never ended up doing it, but that was that was around that time that Lars and the Real Girl. So because I asked, him, I asked him, I was like, "Hey, you, you, you know my friend Arish, like the, the King Kong, and like, did you ask him to?" record something I, he told me that and he was like oh yeah I, I like that band like I don't know it wasn't Weird. I don't think he was like a deep deep head died in the wool but it's not like Josh was... Brolin was he hardcore Josh Brolin was in the pre-rich kids and LSD band really yep where's he from Texas no it's from uh, Oxnard California oh Nardcore wow. he's like a Nardcore dude yeah there was the something like the guy um who's 
Ah, uh, shit. What's his name? Who's the guy who who's in like School of Rock and uh, Jack Black? Jack Black. He was like a roadie for oh, I did like the Meat Puppets or something. I don't think no? so. But he has been on the show three times. So okay, you, you can go back. And Maybe I learned it from one of your shows. <laughs> there was something to do with like him and 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 Greg Turkington. Like he used to go see Neil Hamburger. Yeah, I think and there he was like going to see one of those zip code rapists. Maybe even you saw. Yeah, something, something like that. Anyway, he came. Head. There was something to do with him and like you know shitty bands. Greg, um, uh, Jack Black. There's a photo that has circulated for years. That purports to be Jack Black moshing for this band visual discrimination. <laughs> and so I sent him the photo and he studied the phone. And he said, that guy does look a lot like me. I do not recall being at this show. though. So, <laughs> it's like a forensic. I'm like, I want to eventually get like the whole, you know, yeah, yeah. map, put it together. I love when you see that stuff. Like, if you watch that show, This Fool, this comedy that's on Hulu now. No, I haven't seen it. A lot of hardcore references on oh, it. Oh, really? A lot of punk and hardcore stuff in it. Oh, that's a great. Yeah, like guys so walk it, rocking Los Crudos shirts and... No way. Yeah, and some cool music on the soundtrack and stuff. That's amazing. I love when when you find out that somebody, you know, was hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wait, they're cool. They were hardcore. Yeah, the secret punk thing. That's yeah. like, that's what I... That's the reason I started this podcast, because before I did this, when Fucked Up started finally being able to play festivals, I'd be like, oh, shit. Like, Monster Magnet's on this bill. Let's go bother them about, like, Shrapnel, their old band. Right. And just, like, knock on their dressing room door and just be like, hey, man, like, you're at this band. You yeah. Know, Duff McKagan, you know, just knocking on his dressing room one day and just going to his dressing room what and being band was like, he in? the farts, the fastbacks, the silly killers. Duff from Guns N' Roses yeah. was in the fastbacks? Yeah. What? He's the drummer on the first Fastback 7-inch. Oh, weird. Yeah. He's got his photo. I'll show you the photo on the 7-inch on the afterwards. And actually, Izzy Stradlin played in the band The Adams, with, uh, which was like an early sort of L.A. hardcore band, like or more like kind of glam punk band. Okay. And Monty uh, Messick from the band later played in Dead Fucking Last with the guys from the Beastie Boys. So there's like a punk rock Beastie Boys Guns N' Roses connection. Oh my God. I guess musicians play music. I guess that's the thing, right? <laughs> and it's also one, like we're saying, all these cool people came out of a punk because like this is the only place you could, like you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't beat Blues Hammer out of the gate. You yeah, had to yeah, be the yeah. shitty hardcore band first, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can't just come into this thing. Yeah. Uh well, I've talked to you for a long time, Max, and, and I don't want to take up your whole day, but if you want to keep going, I could talk forever. Nah, we're, we're good, man. I think uh, I've, I've people are probably just about tuning out right now. Well, uh, anytime you want to come back, because I swear there's like, so much more yeah. to talk about. Thank you, Damien. In it's terms a pleasure. of Toronto stuff. Do you have any runs with the Untouchables back when you were a kid? The gang? Yeah. Not really. I would like take the subway to work and or to school work. I would take the streetcar the uh, subway to school and you would see them and I would see their UT yeah logo. But uh no, I mean there was a lot of skinheads back then. That was the thing. If you had docks, right? they would they would like maybe roll you for your docks. I never got rolled. I got like a kitchen knife pulled on me once. By the but, skinheads? Yeah. But it was it what it it didn't feel like I was too small and and immature looking like nobody you know why did you get rolled by UT? no i was like once i think i'm like a year too young to really deal with by yeah. the time i was on the subway 
was about a year after they split and became the Metroids and the Untouchables. Do you remember okay, that? I don't remember the Metroids. This is all just, it was so mainstream media at the time. That yeah. They were talking about this on the radio. With the, remember their James jackets? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they became, and then it, by the time I was kind of like yeah. able to go to the Eaton Center and do that I stuff. definitely like, there was a lot of graffiti. Yeah. Like I was more aware of them by their tag. Tag. And it's funny because yesterday or Sunday, as I was shooting a video for Fucked Up uh, that will come out in what? What is that? January or something? I think it comes out in January. Um, we were shooting at Spadina Station. And so it, I was like talking with Jonah about the Spadina walkway, which is now closed. You know, that moving sidewalk that's oh, at yeah, Spadina Station? Yeah. That I used to get off at Spadina Station and transfer there instead of at like Bloor to go from the south north to the east west. Yeah. And. It, that walkway was dangerous because there was tons of skinheads and untouchables and whatever the mod, like whatever, like three warring gangs in Toronto <laughs> there were at that time. There was time. the mods too, right? The that mods, be, yeah. Right? yeah. And I was like, oh man, the Spadina walkway. Like this was scary when I was a kid. <laughs> it's it's so funny because like they'll make the most boring ass Canadian TV shows. Like why have they not made a TV show about this period in Toronto? And then the BFGs went to war with the skinheads. And like yeah. you had skinheads disappearing and that's when they took off right across canada there was a lot of skinheads back then by the time i was going to shows which would have been 95 the skinhead thing had pretty much there were two the misfits reunion show the second one right got invaded by skinhead nazi skinheads yeah and maybe like two shows i can think of that had nazi well skinhead i got news for you damien they're coming back <laughs> yeah yay. <laughs> yay we blame five arlington for this too yeah yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. It all goes back to you know who. Uh, anytime. All right. Anytime, buddy. Thanks, we got to make this more often. For sure. You, me, Chris Murphy, <laughs> Danko <laughs> Jones. Yeah, let's have some beef. Nick Flanagan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have like we'll a round table. Right in here, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Max, for coming on the show. And we will hold out hope that Max is not indeed retired from music because I would love to see him on stage. Again, and he is definitely not retired from coming on Turned Out of Punk, and we'll do a part two whenever he wants. I'd love to have him back on. That was a really fun conversation. More Deadly Snakes, too. I'd love to have more Deadly Snakes on, more people from Toronto and surrounding areas. Got big plans for 2023. You know, there's a lot. I don't know why, because there's no real impetus for me to keep having big plans, but I got I got big plans to keep having people on and keep making those YouTube documentaries. Shit, I should have plugged the YouTube docs off the top, but... Oh, well, um, as, as we talked about on this episode, though, if you want to check out stuff about Jack Black and, and his punk history, check out tur- at turned out a punk on YouTube, uh, because my YouTube channel, because I've got a, a documentary about Jack Black's punk history, got one about MVP and Zach Blair and their connection and saving the misfits from Macho Man Randy Savage and working on some other stuff. So Check out that over there on the YouTube. And speaking of checking out things, check out next week on the show from the band High Viz, one of my favorite LPs of last year. Graham Sale is going to be on the show. I've known Graham for a very long time. This is a very fun conversation. I'm very excited for you to hear it. All right, we are very done with this episode. Thank you for listening. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of Indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to stop hate and violence towards different people of different faiths and different races and protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights. Because we're not talking about 
you know, pol- politics here. There's just basic human rights shit. People have the right to live free and free from hate, free from violence. So get involved in organizations that are doing positive things in this world. I'd also add to this, you know, human right is what people want to do with their reproductive systems. So if there's an organization out there that's doing great work, see if you can lend your time, your money, whatever you can lend. I'm sure they need support in some way, you know. Maybe we can turn this world around. Speaking of turning things around, try meditating. When I do it, oh my gosh, it helps. Breathing, oh, whoosh. I didn't believe in this stuff. Now I'm like, wow, imagine all the shit I could have saved myself from if I just tried this thing earlier in life. Maybe you'll have the same, you know, wistful thing, thoughts before you fall asleep at night. And then because you meditate, you'll be able to fall asleep even though you're having all these thoughts racing through your head, which is a great thing that I found with meditation too. Try it. It's free to try it, I'm sure. There's lots of places you can try it. I'm sure YouTube's got a meditation thing for you to check out. Uh, speaking of checking things out, check out your organ owner cards and sign it because by the time they come looking for those organs, it's literally dead weight. You know, no one, no one's gonna, you know, no, no one's gonna miss those organs once you're you're gone. So maybe they could change someone's life. I've seen it happen with my own eyes. I've seen it. Speaking of things I've seen happen with my own eyes, make your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Put a band together, put a record label together, put a podcast together. I mean, not a podcast, put a zine together. Do whatever. Do whatever. Because this thing is a culture built on participation and you will make it better by putting something into it for maybe just yourself. But hey, you know, at the end of the day, it's your mental health we're talking about here. All right. That is it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I will see you on the next episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.